And we are live. Yes. <laughs> okay, so you have to bear with us because Google Plus did not alert me that they were switching to YouTube. So this is our first legitimate attempt at no second legitimate attempt at going live. But first legitimate attempt at scheduling a live event. So, so just pour a bigger glass of wine than you usually would and just have masters. <laughs> because see, I poured a big glass tonight because my kids decided that they weren't gonna go to sleep. And I think I even have like a smudge of mascara from crying because they were so difficult tonight. So cheers. Well, because of allergies and whatnot, I'm not drinking wine tonight. But I do have tea in my wonderful Star Wars First World Order mug. Because, you know, take over the world shortly after we discuss books. Yes. So welcome to our live Wine, Women, and Words. And I'm trying to tweet out the link for you all to join in and watch. And hopefully I'm not tweeting out the link to actually join the hangout. Not that I wouldn't love to talk to all of you guys, but I, I want you to watch too. <laughs> so let's see if this tweet works. Mm. Women and... Those who are waiting. Uh, check us out at link and reading hashtag enter necessary hashtags <laughs> because we must have all the necessary hashtags because the world will not run without hashtags tweet alright and we are good to go We'll see what happens. Yay! All right, so, let's start it. Now we can start. Yes. So tonight we are talking or wandering a little bit beyond our usual realm of books. We're moving into Shakespeare adapt adaptations mm -hmm. because we are reading the Semper Sonnet this month. I have. Love that book. Love, love, love this book. Words cannot describe how much I love this book right now. And I may have been endlessly tagging Seth on <laughs> my tweets throughout the month. But I love it because... Let's where you're at on it. Why don't you do a recap? Because I've already finished the book and I love the book. So, next so, excuse me for one moment. And right? I'm really puppy at the moment, so... Lilo's going to join us for a little bit till she comes down. Oh, hi, Lilo. Did you it? You don't care. There's not food or you're the torment. So right now, um, I am at the part. Where am I? They Mark kind of flew off the handle a little bit um, with profess with the um, archaeologist that made the dig. Oh, yes. uh, I can't think of his name right now. Um, Miles, 
I think. Mm-hmm. And she is on her way to, uh, she left Georgetown without him and she's on her way to talk to someone else. I, it's been a really long night, so my details aren't aren't super fuzzy, or um, aren't are super fuzzy. <laughs> but up until this point, we've seen from Mark, he's been that kind of that beta guy for her that she's been able to bounce off of, and he has he's been like that. I always see it, Jeremy Renner is playing him, that <laughs> ruggedly sexy guy, older guy, and he's been mellow and you you're lulled into this passiveness of thinking, okay, he's, he's going to support her. He's going to be there for her. And then he turns all monster on this archeologist and goes, you know, beats the crap out of him. And it's like, Whoa, Whoa, where did this come out of? What kind of a, you know, how can you snap like that? I just, I don't, um, Truman, Miles Truman is the name of the archaeologist. Um, so I just don't, I'm not convinced that Mark is good. I haven't been since I met him. Mm. But, I mean, he could surprise me. But right now, I still, I just don't know about him. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't like that how he treated that guy. But then again, they would never have gotten the whole story if he hadn't. So I guess it was a necessary evil true and do the means justify the ends that's the other thing right but oh sorry go ahead i was was gonna say if somebody showed up at your door a pretty boy showed up at your door i'm assuming you were single (laughs) and maybe the story that lee gave would you just take off with them i mean i mean you always want an adventure to happen to you so why not? But then the practical side of me is like, doesn't he have a job? Like, how can he just like take off? Well, then, all he remember he said he doesn't. He's un, he's like laid off. He's he's about to lose his house. He's got nothing left. Mm, I don't remember that. There there is a possibility that I slept right through that part. But <laughs> yeah, he's basically got nothing really left. But still, he takes off with Lee because you know. That's that's what people do in these books. <laughs> but I love how so we've gone through and okay, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read as far as we have, but we're not really giving anything away. Um we mm-hmm. started out with Queen Elizabeth and her son. And then we went mm-hmm. through went to the Hever Diamonds. Uh, which, by the mm-hmm. way, has spurred on an entirely new obsession with uh, the Tudor dynasty and researching <laughs> everything. Yeah, I love the Tudors so much. I mean, I think you're one of the few people in this world who love them more than I do. And, yeah, so I knew you would love this because it's this whole new aspect of the Tudors that we just never really saw. There's that. My so mom I'll focus on the loves. My mom was here last week, and she and I have watched the Showtime series, The Tudors, uh-huh. from beginning to end, probably like 20 times. Uh-huh. So I, of course, told her about this book, and I think she bought it on for her flight home. Yeah. Um, but it's 
What's so great about this, number one, is it tells the Tudor story from a new perspective. You know, I'm so used to reading about Henry and Anne and all of his wives. It's so fun to see it told from the next generation, from Elizabeth, and you hear about Mary. And, you know, I felt so bad for Mary when I, when I watched the Tudors show because she just totally got screwed over. Oh, yeah. But Mary um, such a tragic life. And... I mean, that poor girl, she never did anything, and he never let her see her, her mother again. And, but it's just, it's like running into old friends and yeah. finding out what they've been up to. It's like, oh my God, it's Elizabeth. It's Anne's daughter. <laughs> and one night I was reading and my husband was playing his video games and he goes, what is, what is that book about? And I said, okay, so. You know, King Henry VIII, he's the one with a bunch of wives. So, you know, I could have very simply told him the overview of the story. I ended up giving him a rundown of Henry VIII and all of his wives and the <laughs> children that he had with each of his wives. And which like, I just want to know what your book was about. I didn't want a history lesson. But you need it to have a better appreciation of the story. <laughs> So you don't understand why this is so huge that she has a son because she was the virgin queen. She never married. <laughs> Unless you're a Doctor Who fan and she married the doctor and that's why she was a virgin queen. Because she was already married. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, in the 50th episode. 50th anniversary. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it's interesting the takes that we all take, that all these couples take on why she never married. Perhaps it's not just for the fact that she just didn't want a husband. Um, but like these interesting takes on it, like the um, Philippa Gregory books, mm -hmm. when she looks at, you know, looks at this and looks at um, Elizabeth's life and then why she ended up, you know, I think the name of the book is The Virgin Queen. I think so. Or yeah, The Virgin yeah. Queen. How she ended up being The Virgin Queen. And then, you know, the different the movies take on it, and then you've got you've got this book's take on it, which there's not some sort of theory as to why she didn't want you know a husband. You just have that theory of that you know she had a dude, she had a lover. Which, Already, she really wasn't a virgin. I mean, it's not impossible. I, I'm no. I, I would like to know honestly what percentage of English citizens have some like some percentage, like some iota of Tudor blood in them. The way that Henry VIII slept around. There is a study that was done, and it was on a documentary, one of these Netflix documentaries. And there's a lot. I wouldn't. There was a lot of them out there with the blood. Yeah, because he had his mistresses, and he had the children. He had the Ill illegitimate children with. Um, Anne's sister. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then they have children, and then they have children. So there's Tudor blood still out there. I would be so excited if I found out that my great-great-great-whatever-grandfather was Henry VIII. <laughs> Do you have English blood? No, I don't. But I'm just saying. <laughs> it would be nice. 
<laughs> you be like, I'm royalty mm -hmm. now, bitches. Exactly. <laughs> you curtsy before me. <laughs> oh, your husband will never be able to live with you. No. Not so much. <laughs> I would have so much fun with that. But I mean, I, I, the research that this got, that this author has put into this book is amazing. I mean, I was texting you earlier this week, and it's like he has to, he had to write a sonnet that mm -hmm. was convincing enough that it sounded like it could have been written by Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Then he had to put the clues in it that mm -hmm. were fitting for the writing style of the time. Mm -hmm. Then he had to match it all up historically with actual historical records that backed up his, his story. And then we bounce over to the science side because now we have morphed over from the queen and her son. And I kind of do hope that it wraps back up, like it circles back to that because mm -hmm. I really like that story. Mm -hmm. um, but now we've morphed over to Semper and this mysterious disease that wiped out this tribe. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to research that. Did you ever look up to see if this tribe actually existed? No, I did not get that far to see if that existed. Though that is a good idea because I'm into, I'm really into um, uh, mysterious uh, populations just disappearing because I was just finished watching American Horror Story. Oh, the new season. Um, Roanoke Colony? Or the yes, it's I, inspiration from that. I'm like, oh! oh yeah. <laughs> Every light on my, in my oh, house yeah. right now, though. I can't write, I can't, or no, I can't watch that show be just because I get too scared and I'm home alone too much that it's, it's just not good. Not that you I'm know, alone I don't, all the time. But. I don't find it that scary in general. It kind of has like that childhood um, horror story where you kind of, by the end, you go on this wild ride, but at the end you kind of feel safe and like, oh... It was very sentimental and sweet. Well, I tried watching whichever season was the um, the mental institution. Oh, that was I couldn't watch that one. I I didn't. I joined in. I watched part of the first season, a cut out for that, and then came back in on the third season when they did the cover. Okay. See, I I, I watched part of the first season. Mm -hmm. I didn't finish it. And then mm -hmm. I didn't watch anything else, but then I started watching the um, the mental institution one. I forgot what it was called. Mm -hmm. But that one was just like, I hate movies where y you just can't win. <laughs> like when they think that they finally got away and then they didn't. Oh, I just, it freaks me out too much. I would uh, not a lot of people that I've talked to that are big American Horror Story fans like the that second season, so I haven't even bothered tuning into it. I think you would like Coven, the third season. I and thought I, I would like too. Did you watch any of it? No, I, I meant to. I know it's on Netflix. Um, not that scary. It really isn't. And I keep meaning to finish watching Freak Show, um, because that one I I, keep, I haven't finished it, but that one isn't like uber scary either 
Um, but then there's, you know, last season with the hotel and Lady Gaga is an amazing actress. And okay. I'm a totally Gaga fan because of this show. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I might give Coven a shot. I remember a lot of people talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I am obsessing over Quantico on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So, and Rich tries to pretend that he doesn't like it, but he totally does. <laughs> it's like riding with Gilmore Girls, because I'm totally obsessing over that right now. Um, How far are you all, have have you met Logan yet? You have met Logan. Yeah, yeah. I'm on season seven, episode twenty, I think. Oh man, you're almost there. Prepare to cry. Oh, I will. Oh, I already know what's going to happen because I mean it's at this point where it's like the spoilers are moot. You already know what's kind of going to happen. You think at the end. you know, but you don't. Yeah, well, there's this whole thing about, you know, how some people uh, go and look at the end of the uh, book. (laughs) I go and I look up the reviews of the recaps of what's happened. Because I'm like, okay, I gotta know. I gotta know what happens here this last season. And so I looked at other people's recaps. So has Logan grown on you? Yeah, I'm a Jesse girl. I relate so much to Jesse that I don't like any other of any of Rory's other boyfriends. Have you seen, all right, do you remember when I texted you and I said, I know you're not at this point in Gilmore Girls yet, but oh my God. Yes, I remember that. Um, have you, okay, so you're almost at the end. So you're not- at the point where Rory is no longer at Yale. Yes, she's just, she's graduated. She's at the point of graduation. She's got, she's trying to get a job. Get oh, her okay. Parents, yeah. So you saw the episode where Jess comes back. Yes. Where she goes down in Philadelphia. She goes to visit. Oh my God. Oh, I was so angry with her. I was like, (laughs) you are awful. You were awful to him. Why? No, no, this is no, he's made something of himself. He's no, but aren't you just so proud of him? Actually doing something. Yes. Yes. That's why I, I relate so much to that character and why I love that character so much. My one I was a troubled, messed up kid who left a small town who felt like she was suffocating in the small town and got to a bigger city and actually, you know, started making something of herself. Well, I'm very excited about the reunion show. I can't wait to see what happens. Me too now. But anyway, we kind of mm-hmm. nerded out a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Well, since um, we already started talking about television shows, perhaps we should start talking about um, the, Shakes, uh, the Shakespeare and the movies. Mm-hmm. The adaptations. That's the word I was looking for. Adaptations. So, <laughs> I even made my list on my new iPhone, you guys. Ooh. Talking to a friend um, a couple weeks ago, and she was saying what she does with Shakespeare is it's totally like sensory uh, fulfillment where she she reads it and then she'll listen to it on audiobook and then she'll watch it. Oh, that's a whole lot. Yeah, that's dedication, and I envy her for that, and it just sounds wonderful. Well, 
If I had that kind of time, maybe. <laughs> but I mean, at, really, how bad would it be if I made my kids listen to Shakespeare? That might not be a bad idea. No, it wouldn't be a bad idea at all. I would love if Landon's first word was like something totally Shakespearean or Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, if a little if a little uh, Landon comes walking up and he's like, "If these images have a man for this." I'm offended for this I shall amend <laughs> and then just falls away <laughs> he's like walking right now but he walks with his hands up in the air so he looks like a drunk orangutan <laughs> it's really cute and that's saying something because he's a redhead mm-hmm. so would you like to go um, first with your list sure I shall alright well the first one on my list is Richard the Third. And this one was done in the mid-90s with, um, oh, Gandalf guy. I meant to write down his name, and I didn't. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, um, I know who you're talking about. Everyone knows who you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. It is, I watched it a couple months ago, and it is the most amazing version of Shakespeare, or of Richard III that's out there. They take, I think I might have mentioned it previously. Um, they take Richard III, what it is, and then they put, set it in the 1940s. So it's 1940s clothing, 1940s warlike era, though it's not, you kind of get the sense that there's like a World War II going on, but it's not really World War II, it's the wars that Richard has been dealing with. Okay, interesting. So it's, it is so well done, absolutely well done. I've seen various versions of Richard III, and this one is by far the best. And my second favorite is done by a fellow by the name of Joss Whedon. And it is Much Ado About Nothing. And I just love it. After our last um, podcast, I had to go and turn it on and watch it. I loved it so much. I have that one on my list also. And aside from the story, because the Shakespeare aspect of it, I just love Joss Whedon. (laughs) <laughs> and to see, you know, Joss's people in it, mm-hmm. you know, if you have Angel fans out there, Fred is there. Buffy, Firefly, Dollhouse, mm-hmm. um, even some actors who were in some of the Avengers movies make mm-hmm. an appearance in it. Clark Gregg is in it. He plays the father. I just... Um, I just love all those, all the actors, and I feel like they, Joss Whedon has such a loyal fan base that, you know, anything with his name on it, they will automatically watch. So Mm -hmm. the fact that he took a Shakespeare play and put his own spin on it was amazing. It was, it's so sexy. He makes... Shakespeare sexy, which, I mean, back in the day, I'm sure it was as sexy as you could probably get, especially with grown men playing women on stage. <laughs> oh. um, it's, it's, it's that black and white, that old school Hollywood noir kind of feel to it. And it's just, it's, it woos you. I love it so much. And oh, Benedict and Beatrice scenes are to die for. I still am trying to um, memorize her all of her lines from the movie. <laughs> Particularly if I were a man, that whole monologue, 
Mm-hmm. And then, like, my favorite part is where they're um, they're going through the masks. Mm. And she, <laughs> that whole scene where she's like, well, if he has a beard, he's he's not for me. He's not for me. And if he doesn't have a beard, well, then I'm not for him. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, preach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then when they start talking about a husband for hero, and she's like, let her... Let her bow to you and say, Father, as it please me. I'm like, oh, I love her. She is like the best feminine icon. One of the best feminist icons out there. Which was written by a man. In the, what century was it? 17th century that these were written? 1600s? 16th? Yeah. I want to say. Yeah, I want to say something. <laughs> Let's fact check really quick. Okay, just a quick fact check. Because I mean, you know, Elizabethan era. Yes. When you didn't really have feminism back then. Much ado about nothing. So the very, very end of the 16th century. 1598 okay. and 1599. All right, well, we were close. So, yeah. Uh, my next one on my list, before we go over to you for some of yours, is 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, my God, we have the same list. <laughs> We might vary coming up in a little bit. I love that movie. That's like the ultimate teen movie. Well, it's, I mean, it's Julia Stiles, and I just love her. Heath Ledger. And Heath Ledger. And before before he was Heath Ledger, I mean, that was yeah. one of his early, early movies. When he was just that hunky, mysterious Australian dude. Yeah. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm-hmm. When he was that weird kid from Third Rock from the Sun, and that dorky kid, and it's he's so charming in the movie, and it's so funny. I love the dad. Anyway, I just that. So I lived in Switzerland when that movie came out, and I bought it in England, and I was super excited that I had a new movie in English because mm-hmm. it'd been so long. And I watched that movie a million times. <laughs> I could probably quote the entire script to you right now. <laughs> but it's just so good. Like, it doesn't get old. And it's one of those good movies where, you know, when it comes to, like, the teen movies, it has a good message to it. Where the little sister, she actually stands up for herself. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't, doesn't go run into the football player. And you see that softening in Julia Stiles' character that, you know, is such a, you know, a good, you know, opening up and venue for the whole, the whole movie and the whole characters. And yeah, I just, I got, I love that movie. <laughs> I made Ryan watch it a couple of weeks ago. He hadn't watched it yet. We're like just switching through channels. I was like, oh, stop, stop, stop. It's on. <laughs> And he's like, what is this? I'm like, it's 10 things I hate about you. You've never seen this before? And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, we're watching this because this is an education. (laughs) This doesn't count as one of your yearly chick flicks. And so therefore you must watch it. He gets three chick flicks a year that he has to watch with me. I pick the movies. I usually do them once a quarter and usually save them for when I'm particularly angry with him and I want to torture him. Though I might make him watch The Boss this weekend, which it was, I loved it with Melissa McCarthy. Mm-hmm. It was a really funny, really good movie. And I might just make him watch it just because I really like that movie. I think, so this weekend, the kids are going to stay with Grandma and Grandpa. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm going to a concert Saturday night, and Rich has duty on Sunday. So I think on Sunday, I am going to go see Bad Moms. Ah, <gasps> oh, that sounds wonderful. I, I think that's what's going to happen. I think, I think that's necessary. Well, we'll get into my weekend plans later. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are you, three from your list. Well, we kind of have already talked about them, but so one of my favorite movies, I I went through when I was younger, I went through a obsession of musicals. Uh, Gene Kelly, if Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra were in it, it was automatically watched repeatedly Mm. until my mom was like, please do not have these men tap dance across my TV anymore. Yeah, a funny face. I love funny face. I just, my, well, my favorite Frank Sinatra Gene Kelly movie is Take Me Out to the Ball Game, which is probably one of the lesser, like, it's not the big ones. It's not Singing in the Rain. It's not another one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, I watched West Side Story for the first time. I forgot that that was based off of Romeo and Juliet. I forgot about that. So for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a a spin of Romeo and Juliet based in, I think it's the Bronx in New York. Mm -hmm. And it's two gangs. It was made in 1961. And it's two gangs. You have the Jets and the Sharks. And it's the Jets are like the white boys. And the Sharks are the Puerto Ricans. And the like right hand man for the sh- uh, the Jets falls in love with the Sharks leader's sister, mm. baby sister. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean the the dances in it are phenomenal. The songs mm. are amazing. I have the entire soundtrack on my iPod, and I sing along to them shamelessly at the top of my lungs if I have the opportunity in my car. (laughs) And it's just such a good movie. And Natalie Wood is gorgeous. Mm, Yes. I just love her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another one, my list is going to seem pretty juvenile right now because another one on my list is The Lion King. Okay, tell me how that is a Shakespeare remake. Hamlet! Really? Yes! Okay, I see it. I see it. Alright, I do see it. It's a children's version of Hamlet. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Yes, except that, you know, the one lion doesn't end up making it with the other lion's mom. Well, I mean, they probably had to edit that part out for children. Make it PG. Right. Or G. <laughs> oh, that's right. It is Lion King. But it's, I think, not so much maybe for the the um, artistic or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the Shakespeare element to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's more the fact that it's introducing kids to Shakespeare. Mm. Even if they don't realize it. So... You know, when they when they're older and they start learning about it in high school, it's mm-hmm. kind of. I think it's nice that teachers can say, "Well, you've actually probably have already watched Shakespeare," and mm-hmm. to say the. I think it it gives a nice opening 
for yeah. people to start liking Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. So that's why I have the Lion King on there. And I also did a dance for the fourth grade talent show to I Just Can't Wait to Be King. And we got an <laughs> honorable mention. I'll have you know. <laughs> and there is the total of Michelle Shoba's career. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and so, 10 Things I Hate About You, West Side Story, Lion King, Much Ado About Nothing. And the last one on my list is the 1996 uh, Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Yes, because every teenage girl, myself included, was absolutely in love with them and that story. I love. Well, I I've never loved Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet nearly um, turned me off from Shakespeare altogether. I thought I couldn't stand. I can't stand Juliet. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> I've tried to read and read um, the Nurse's Tale or whatever the um, story about the so the fiction that takes place um, and tells a story about the her nurse Juliet's nurse. Really. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people love it. You have to look it up. I, for one, I think my problem is just that I just don't like Romeo and Juliet in general. And a little whiny. I, I'll give you that. She's a little whiny. Yeah, and to kill yourself over the dude, I'm sorry. I don't know if I can do that. I love my husband dearly, but do a suicide <laughs> pact with him. I think I've got too much of that survivor's instinct. It's, I mean, it's very anti-feminist. Maybe that's it. Maybe I was a feminist in the making since I was, like, in high school. Because what's weird for me is that, okay, so this is how odd I am. And it's probably telling. Didn't like Romeo and Juliet. Was completely turned off by it, especially when they make you, like, memorize uh, chapters, little mm -hmm. sections from it. I'm horrible at memorizing things. I'm great with movie lines. Show me a movie, and I can totally do quotes from it if I've watched it, like, twice. Right. Um, <laughs> then if I watch it like a hundred times like uh, Talladega Nights I can quote the whole uh, movie at odd uh, times including when Ryan is scolding me about some, getting angry with me about something and I'm like don't you put that evil on me Ricky Bobby and it <laughs> totally dissipates the whole argument but I digress so I hated Romeo and Juliet but then 10th grade we read uh, Julius Caesar Mm -hmm. And that's what made me fall in love with Shakespeare was Julius Caesar. Hmm. Go figure. Historical fiction was what made me fall in love with uh, Shakespeare. It was foreshadowing. It was. It was. And then it took me forever to actually start writing historical fiction. So do you have any others for your list? I don't have any others on my list. That was, I mean, I... Uh, I could have done a little more research because I was 99% sure Much Ado About Nothing was going to be on your list. <laughs> and I wasn't positive, but I figured 10 Things I Hate About You could make an appearance. <clears throat> I figured it would be on your list as well. What's the matter, Fizz? I'm sorry. One second. Come here, Fizz. You may have your kids. Your kids may be asleep, but my dog's not. My kids oh, yeah. are up and playing. I'm so happy that my children are sleeping. <laughs> well, for me, I've got about uh, seven others on my list. Oh, dang. Okay, oh, continue. Well, I watch, um, I watch a Shakespeare movie once a month. And I think Shakespeare, just as much as it, as it should be read, should also be watched. 
and I love watching the movies and the different takes on them. Um, Henry V is one of um, my favorites. And both the Kenneth Branagh version and then the Hallow Crown series, which you need to watch the Hallow Crown series. You would love, 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 love it. Okay. I will watch it. Um, I mean, it's got our favorite boy in it, Tom Hiddleston. Who is single again. Thank you. <laughs> I love how two married women are like, oh, my God, he's single. Like, we would be able to do anything. I mean, okay, not so much, like, single. We're like cats without claws. Right. Not, it's, it's less that he's single because you love your husband, I love mine. It's that he's not with Taylor Swift anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was very that's really upsetting. what it comes down to yeah yeah well um i like the i love hit the hollow crown and henry v henry v has one of the best speeches in all of history um all of literature really in it um it's the saint crispin's day speech to rouse the troops and it's just so moving and Kenneth Branagh, that's the one thing i really remember from his movie is that speech that really uh, rousing speech and then in the hollow crown it's just a myriad of just amazing actors um an amazing take on it uh, i think in on, in britain it was done as a miniseries yeah. and and it was just so well done so well done and I, I think my favorite part is at the end where tom hiddleston is talking to the french princess and she doesn't speak any english and she's not quite sure what to how to what to make with of him, and he's he's wooing her in French, and I'm like, girl, yeah. you don't to him right now. You are a fool. Um, so yeah, I love that love that version. Um, other another version that I love, film that I love is Midsummer Night's Dream. Did you see the one with? You seen it with Michelle Pfeiffer, and Stanley Tucci and Calista Flockhart? I love Stanley Tucci. Oh, you have, and you have not seen this? No, but I adore him. Oh, I think we need to have a Shakespeare night. I think I need to come down there. I think we need to do Shakespeare. Um, and you think you need to watch this? Because Stanley Tucci is Puck. <gasps> oh, my God. I yes. need to see this. Yes, he is. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is uh, Queen, I want to see Andromeda. Oh, no, Titania. She's the fairy queen. And then um, the Calista Flockhart's character is the girl... Uh, there's several other like really prominent actors that you would recognize in this. Lots of um, British like comedians and stuff. Um, but Calista Flockhart's character is one of the girls. The girl who um, I can't remember what her name was, but she's the one who none of the boys like, and okay. she's like so hopelessly in love with the other boy, and she plays it so well. And it's great because it's set. They set it in the 1900s in Italy. I, I love when they take Shakespeare out of mm -hmm. the 16th century and mm -hmm. set it into different mm -hmm. eras. Yeah, because you take it outside of that and you keep the language, because that's what they did. They took it out and they kept the language and everything. And it's, the way it's set, it still kind of feels like it's a play, like you're not really in a film world. Um, but it's so... So well done. And I think I might watch it after we're finished with this. I might um, watch 10 Things I Hate About You if I stay awake for it. <laughs> well, my 
much to do about nothing came up twice, I guess you could say. So I've had a couple doubles on here. Because you've got the much ado about nothing that has um, that Joss did. And then there's the much ado about nothing that came out in 93, which Kenneth Branagh was in. You can tell I'm a Kenneth Branagh fan because he pops up a lot in pretty much all the um, Shakespeare's. And I discovered this movie when I was in high school and I was just starting to really get into Shakespeare. And I watched the movie before I watched, I read the play and I just, I loved it. I loved the whole story. And I was like, why aren't they teaching knit me this in high school? Why didn't I have to read Romeo and Juliet? And this is so much more high school. This is like high school drama. One, 100%. What do you think? I mean, why do you think it is that they teach Romeo and Juliet over other plays? I think it's just a standard that's been done. I think they might, they think that the kids might relate to that more because it's the romance aspect of it. So a girl kills herself over a guy and that's the one that kids can relate to most. Pretty much. Cause you know, you're going to fight mom on the fact that you love that bad boy with a motorcycle. I mean, I married the bad boy with a motorcycle. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, there are so many, even like the merchant of Venice. I completely forgot about that play until mm -hmm. I was researching for our podcast and I forgot how much I love that play. I haven't read that one yet or watched it. I, I need definitely need to. I was trying when I was look trying to remember adaptations for tonight. Um, did you ever see Seven Pounds with Will Smith? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. So I was trying to figure out if that was like a very loose adaptation of. The Merchant of Venice, because essentially what happens is for, and I'm a little fuzzy on the details because it's been a very long time since I read it, but basically he, they have to take, I think it's 12 pounds of flesh from him because he's unable to pay. I don't remember if he's caught stealing or for whatever reason, he can't pay for something. So mm -hmm. they take it out of his flesh. And seven pounds if you recall is him basically paying penance for what he did by paying with his body basically mm -hmm. so i was going to make an argument that seven pounds was a, a shakespeare adaptation even if it wasn't intentionally mm -hmm. but i just i mean just right now thinking about shakespeare and all the amazing works that he's done. I don't understand why Romeo and Juliet is so huge in high school. Don't you think they should pick something yeah. that is a little more empowering than what you do about nothing? What you do Benedict and Beatrice. Beatrice is so empowering. Hero where she the way what they have to do with Claudio, um the fact that, that she has to they have to fake her death because she's so wrong and there's no more honor there for her. So they, she dies and she's re, reborn kind of thing. I, yeah, so many more, you know, maybe that should be our topic next week is if we had a um, English class, what, what uh, Shakespeare would we teach? I, I think, I mean, I, I would honestly like to know it. Do you think it's because Romeo and Juliet is considered the best Shakespeare play? 
It's one of the more popular ones. I think. I don't. Is it really considered the best of the place? I don't know. I might. I would. I would argue with that. I would really argue with that. I should. I should look up. I've got a book about um, Shakespeare. I, we had a client at my office, and his wife was a Shakespeare scholar. Oh wow! And yeah, she. He gave me one of her books that she had um, written about Shakespeare, and it was from like the sixties or seventies that she wrote it. And I should go consult her book and see. You should, because now I want to know. Yeah, and like there was, she was such a Shakespearean scholar. She did something you and I totally would do. She made her husband go to Denmark on vacation so they could see um, the ruins of where Hamlet was. Oh my God, I would love to do that. Yes, because Hamlet was actually historical fiction for Shakespeare. Well, all right. So I am looking at. Oh, I've got more plays. Oh, okay, play. sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I got sidetracked. <laughs> um, well, speaking of Hamlet, the um, Hamlet with David Tennant, I don't know what year it was done. It was a PBS uh, production. But it's David um, Tennant. Yes, David Tennant and Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart plays both father and uncle in the um, – yeah, so they were like twins in this production. And um, – this is so well done. You can get it on through Amazon uh, video. Mm -hmm. I actually purchased it through there. And since it's a PBS production, it's going to be fairly cheap. Ah, sorry, dogs again. God, you'd think I gave them chocolate or something. <laughs> or the doggy equivalent of, like, super energy. Um, but, yeah, this is so well done. And he goes around with, like, this little old-school video camera, and he's, like, recording stuff. So you, sometimes you see some of the film through um, the recording's eyes. And he's just, he plays crazy really, really well. If you've watched any Doctor Who or any of his other stuff, he can do the crazy. He can turn on the crazy, like, Gene Wilder style. Well, um, he did a good crazy well, in Harry Potter, I will say. Yeah. Oh, and also the evil in, um, the evil guy in Jessica Jones. Yes. 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 Um, but, yeah, he does, you, you see some of that crazy in there, and he just lets loose the crazy in Hamlet. And the passion. It's not so much crazy, but just passionate. And he's such a well-trained Shakespearean actor. And I love, love, love this version that he does. And then um, Twelfth Night, which I have to go back and I have to rewatch and read because I kind of forgot most of what happens besides the whole girl pretending to be a guy thing. Uh, but Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter is the main uh, character in that. And she did it, and this was in 96. Okay. So I saw that one when I was researching, and I couldn't remember if I've seen it or not, so I didn't put it on my list. I remember watching it, and I think we'll have to watch it again. So, like I said, I do this. I do Shakespeare every month with my dad, so I might have to make him watch this for our next one. And then Othello in 2001, the one with, I can't remember what the other actors were, but Kenneth Branagh, again, as an ego. This is... Such a fan, the, the passion, they really portrayed that passion and that sexiness that you get in Othello, and it was just amazing. It's a very amazing version. So that's all, the, all my favorite versions. I remember watching O in high school. Wait. Mm. Um, oh, what is his name? It's another Julia Stiles movie. So, oh, um, yeah. And yeah. I remember that. Josh Hartnett plays Iago, and is it Tyrese? 
I think so. I don't remember. It's been so long, but I remember I remember when that movie came out. And did they they didn't use Shakespeare the original language, right? They used used another language. They did like they did in uh Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah. But they used the premise of the story. And that I liked that movie, but I I feel like it wasn't as good as Ten Things I Hate About You. I feel like it was a little too dark. Mm, yeah, I can see that. That's a dark one to turn into a high school, a teen movie. Yeah, I mean, not that, I mean, Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Clara Danes, they were teenagers and that was no less dark. But I feel like they, that movie pulled it off because they stuck with the original language and it was just taking it and, and putting it in a new setting. So it wasn't like trying to make Shakespeare their own. They were just putting it in with new backgrounds. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It makes sense, yes. Anyway. And I some just can't translate. Because I think Othello is darker Romeo and Juliet. I think Othello is more passionate, that dark, deep, driven jealousy like quite have in Romeo and Juliet. Like Romeo and Juliet's here and then Othello is like here. There. Maybe, maybe it's because those are hard emotions for a teenager to feel. Mm-hmm. So trying to put it in like a high school setting, I don't know if it, I, it looked like a prep school, but it was still high school. Yeah, I think they might have been trying to do what was that movie? Um, Oh, uh, Witherspoon and, um... Cruel Intentions? Yes, I think they were trying to go Cruel Intentions route. Yeah, well, there's only one Cruel Intentions. And not that it was such an amazing movie, but I I feel like those types of storylines, it needs to be with adults. Mm -hmm. I think Midsummer Night's Dream teenager way, I think they could, I think that could be pulled off as a teen movie. Wasn't there, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Mm -hmm. there a movie, it was with Kirsten Dunst and Shane West and Cisco, if we all remember him from like the 90s. And gosh, what was the name of this movie? Um, and I think they were all, it was like all centered around a, a play, a school play. And it was Midsummer Night, Midsummer Night's Dream, I think. Hold on. I think if they did it, it would be fun. Like they, with the updated Romeo and Juliet, I actually quite liked that one. Or not Romeo and Juliet, um, Beauty and the Beast. There was a redo, retelling of Beauty and the Beast with some teeny bobber actors and a Neil Patrick Harris. I rented it one night because, you know, there's nothing else I really wanted. (laughs) Killing myself here. Um, But it was a good, it was a good movie. I liked the, um, the way they did it and the way they did, um, you know, that witch, that teeny bopper, um, the Olsen twins. 
and I think they could if they could pull something off like that, they could totally do something like that with um, a high school movie. They could and BTW. It was called Get Over It. <laughs> if you remember, I I totally remember this movie. Um, but yes, it was loosely based on a Midsummer Night's Dream. Hmm. But I mean, oh, and then totally. Um, what was that one where um, girl cross dresses to be player? Hmm. She's the man. Yes, she's the man. Is loosely based off of Twelfth um, Twelfth Night. So I think it's interesting. All right, so we've talked. We spent almost an hour talking about Shakespeare adaptations, and a good. <laughs> it's an awesome night. <laughs> a, there have been a good number of movies that we've mentioned that are set in high school and are focused around teenagers, and I think that's kind of interesting. I wonder if that's be is that because the age of the characters in the plays were around that age. I mean, you're, you're more Shakespeare than I am. So you would. Know. <laughs> I think it's just that they can translate them. So I mean, much ado about nothing, even though, yeah, hero can be is theoretically around that same age as a high schooler is. It's never been set as a, um, teeny bopper kind of, uh, movie, but I think it's, there are things that, that the teenagers can relate to that you have these different elements within Shakespeare that you can, you can reach out and you can grasp because they were, they're relatable to today. They're these universal emotions, and some of them just feel they're strong, much more strongly with the teenagers, you know, the 12th night one, when they redid it for the soccer, a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, you have that, that kind of idea where the girl's going to cross-dress just so that she could play in the soccer team, where in Twelfth Night she cross-dresses just so, I think, so she could survive. Um, oh. Minor details. Um, minor, minor details. Um, make another good team movie. Yes, I agree. Maybe we should do an episode on Shakespeare movies that are meant to be teeny bopper movies. <laughs> we might have to. We might have to carry over into October. Right? The Shakespeare is clearly not enough. No. And we have two more episodes. Three. Wait. What's today's date? The 15th? So, mm-hmm. so two, more, two more weeks in September. And mm-hmm. our last episode in September is very exciting. We have a yeah, special so guest joining us. And um, I'm not going to, like, name names, but it revolves around the book. You better, the book. you better finish the book by the end of the month. Yeah, because it's <laughs> going to be, like, if you haven't finished Semper Sonnet by September 29th. You're a loser. <laughs> uh, and that's you. Attention. But it's, I mean, Shakespeare, you could talk about Shakespeare for days. Yes. Clearly as we can, too. So next week, I th- what are we doing next week? Is it tragic characters or romantic characters or both? Let's do both. We can do both. Yeah. The best tragic and romantic characters. I mean, I'll pour okay. another big glass of wine. That's okay. 
<laughs> Maybe Which, it'll be good for the way, tonight. This was a Behringer. It was on sale. And I think it was a Pinot. My mm -hmm. mom was here last week, and she is the the wine person in the family. So she was giving her recommendations, and I was all, okay, if it's under 10 bucks, that's the one that I want. So <laughs> if it's under 10 bucks, and it has a pretty label. Exactly. I just know I don't like the sweet wines. As, as long as it doesn't say Moscato, I'm good. See, those are Rich's favorite wines, are Moscato's. Really? Mm -hmm. You know, it's probably because he wasn't raised like we were. Because no. you're Italian, but you were raised with wine. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't really start liking wine until maybe my mid twenties. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I w I feel like sweet wines are a good entry into. Yeah. But then you start yeah. experimenting. Yeah, I've seen that a lot too. Whereas me, it was so funny. My friend posted this thing where the new cocktail trend. Are you there? Hi. Hi. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Okay, we're gonna pretend it didn't happen. Um, one of the, the possible hiccups that we talked about. <laughs> well, the new cocktail trend is to um, mix your wine with your soda. Yeah, I don't knock until you try it. Red wine with a Diet Coke. Really? Yeah, I grew up with that. That's how I got trained on wine. When I was like eight, eight years old, my uncle would pour that into my uh, soda glass. 